0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: Imagine walking into a shop, grabbing what you want from the shelves and then just walking out, skipping the register entirely. No, it's not shoplifting, it's artificial intelligence. And it's set to be coming to a 7-Eleven store near you. Speaking of AI, if you've got a calendar crammed with meetings, there's a new virtual assistant on the horizon that can take them for you. Plus, something has broken in the world of NFTs. We look at what it means for the non-fungible future. Also, forget influencing. Sleepfluencing is the next big thing. Getting paid to sleep? Sign me up. All this and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Ray Johnston and welcome to Download This Show. It is a new episode of Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, filling in for Mark Fennell. And this week, I am joined by Dr. Erica Mealy, a lecturer in computer science at the University of the Sunshine Coast. Welcome, Erica.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And we are also joined once again by Daniel Van Boom, a brand shiny new job title on the horizon, technology correspondent at Capital Brief. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Now, taking things even further than self-service checkouts, which can be a little bit divisive, 7-Eleven Australia is set to roll out tech that's going to let you skip the register entirely. Erica, what exactly is 7-Eleven proposing here?
2: So, the idea is that uh, instead of having to take our little cart up with us, or there's a version at the moment where if you've got their special app, you can scan with the barcode reader your basket. This takes it the next step further where you actually just pick it up and it knows that you've picked up that meat pie or that chicken sandwich. And then because you've got your app, you then walk out of the shop. You can just pay without having to think about it.
1: So is this going to be for every customer that walks in the store? How exactly is 7-Eleven going to do this?
2: So, from what we can see so far, it's trialing in a number of stores—not every single store—and uh, they'll be only seeing how it works, and it'll only be for those who elect to use the app. So, you'll still be able to come in with, you know, the change you've pulled out of the couch or out of the car, and um, and pay for for that, you know, frozen drink, that Slurpee. Um, but yeah, for those who are tech savvy or time poor or wanting to to manage that, of course, we can just install the app. But uh, as most of us from that kind of privacy security uh, perspective will say, that also means they get to track every single thing that you buy. Uh, whether that's a good thing or bad thing, I think it's still open for uh, discussion. So, Daniel,
1: what would you say the benefits are of a system like this?
0: Uh, 7-Eleven gets more people downloading its app, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we get to walk out without dealing with the human. I guess I think it's uh, clear that people don't want to do that. Um, the technology is pretty crazy in terms of uh, the the cameras are all in the in the roof, and they pretty much watch you from when you enter. You, like I say, you need to download the app. I'm really curious to see if this will be better for 7-Elevens the the amount of money people spend at their stores versus the if the benefit will come from people downloading the app because you need that you scan that. And then, yeah, it, the cameras basically watch you from when you walk in. They have like a stick figure. that
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they have a stick figure?
0: I watched uh, the 7-Eleven's head of AI innovation talk about this last night because 7-Eleven has a head of AI development. <laughs> and the, the camera basically sees your body as a stick figure and can tell based on the orientation where your arms are moving and what you're looking at. And every person in the store, it, it's got a reading on you. So it's pretty crazy, although I'm sure problems will abound. They, they said they'll only have uh, 10 stores by the end of next year. And uh, yes, I, I can't wait to see the troubleshooting that happens.
1: Can you imagine someone choosing to go into a 7-Eleven store simply because this technology exists? Or is it something that customers are just going to be subjected to?
0: I feel like eventually it's going to be something that customers are subjected to, but I feel like at first it, it will surely be a gimmick. I was really surprised. Um, last week, Temple and Webster, the online uh, uh, retailer, said that their, their sales had gone up by a certain percent because their uh, chatbots are like powered by ChatGPT now. And I, I was really surprised at that. So you know, before last week, I would have thought, uh, this AI stuff is a gimmick, and people don't really care." But apparently, you know, it, it can make a difference.
1: Erica, are you seeing the benefits of this as well, or is it just the screaming downsides and risks that are blaring in the back of your mind?
2: Uh, I, I work with a lot of very introverted people, like the, the ones that absolutely love not having to talk to a human at Coles <laughs> and, and Woolworths and all those sorts of things. So I think for those kinds of people, I think it'll be great. Uh, for people like myself who have children who will go and pick up every single thing on the shelf and try to bring it to you, I want to know how it works out when you put the thing back. Like what happens when my child goes, I want this chocolate bar. And you're like, no, no chocolate bars. Not today. Put it back. Is it going to charge me for it still? I mean, it might help with the stock retention, right? Because people always just put stuff back next to wherever they're standing. So if you have to put it back where it came from so that you don't get charged for it, maybe that will help maybe that's an unseen benefit. But uh, this isn't new. Amazon actually launched a, uh, a convenience style store like this in 2016, I believe it was, um, in the test phase for Amazon employees, and then 2018 launched to the public. So it's interesting that it's taken Amazon to go first, but this long for, for 7-Eleven to do it. I would have thought if it was such a great idea, maybe it would have come faster or maybe that's the pandemic's fault.
0: Aldi also does, does this in uh, London and there's a, a few stores in London for so the Amazon stores and that was a problem that Erica mentioned that it's quite good at if, if you just go in and take things off the shelf and that's all you do uh, there's few problems but in terms of if you pick stuff up and put it back on the shelf there have been issues with uh, being charged for things you never actually bought so yes yeah, so you uh, bring kids or indecisive shoppers such as myself into that and yeah it could be a problem
1: so when it comes down to it, Erica, is this a technology that you're excited to use? Would you use this?
2: I think there's the, the fun element of, you know, everyone would go and use it at least once. Um, I don't think I would go out of my way to use it regularly but again you know teaching privacy and security i don't really want all of these big companies to know everything i buy or you know there's they've done some interesting data analysis in the past around you know at this cycle of the month erica buys lots of chocolate or you know i just i don't <laughs> feel like 711 needs to know when i have the munchies it's uh, it, it's uh, yeah for for me it's a privacy no uh, but a gimmick maybe
1: Is it a privacy no for you as well, Daniel?
0: Uh, It's not a privacy no, probably just because I'm not as protective of my privacy as I should be. Um, For me, it's more just the like, I can imagine myself walking by being like, oh, I could use some water and then thinking like, oh, can't be bothered downloading an app though. And then, you know, just going to the next door. So it's
1: even more laziness on your behalf that you wouldn't use this.
0: Yeah, the cost-benefit analysis doesn't doesn't add up.
1: I mean, and there's also the consideration of, you know, we used to walk up to a counter and give this to a person and this is someone's job that is being taken. Not to use the robots are taking my jobs analogy, but this is a pretty clear example of that, right?
0: Yeah, it does feel like that. Um, I think the bigger problem will be when, you know, because I imagine in a 7-Eleven, it's such a small store, you'd probably need one person in there just in case. But I think the major job losses will come when this technology is adopted by your Woolworths or your Coles, where the the staff, you know, there may be 20 people in a store and then that goes down to like three or four. Um, And I think the other ethical uh, thing to keep in mind is that the companies that use AI like this, when, when they're watching you on those cameras, uh, it's not only a privacy thing, it's a data thing. That's all data that they can then use to uh, train their AI models. And I can just imagine a weird dystopian future where 7-Eleven has developed some proprietary AI that they sell <laughs> for some nefarious ends but yeah
2: (laughs) see my my fear is that we get too used to this pick up and walk out that one day when someone's not quite awake that they're just going to like oh yeah i need some water and just pick up and walk out of a store that doesn't have this technology and it'd be like (laughs) you're shoplifting it's like oh but isn't this an ai store i'm so sorry
1: this is a very big risk i i agree (laughs) Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And one of the big promises of NFTs was that artists would always get a cut. But that might not be the case anymore. Daniel, a bit of a refresher for us all, because it's been a minute since we've talked about them regularly on the show.
0: What is an NFT? An NFT is a token on the blockchain that proves your ownership of a digital asset. Uh, That's a bit of a word soup. So the best way to think about it is if you have an asset like a house, you then have a deed to that house. The NFT is the deed in that metaphor. So in the example of a Bored Ape Yacht Club uh, profile picture, which is probably the most famous example of a uh, NFT, uh, the NFT, the non-fungible token, is the token that proves that you own that JPEG.
1: So, Erica, what's going on with royalties being paid to artists? What's happened here?
2: So the promise of it was that our creators could have some stake of ownership. And uh, what's happening now is uh, one of the NFT marketplaces, OpenSea, has said it's actually going to stop enforcing the mandatory collection of fees and those royalties. So pretty much, you can still pass that back to the artist, but you're really just maintaining that system on the the blockchain rather than actually, you know, paying the creator. And I, I think for me it was always a bit of a a question because like you say you can have a deed to a house but there's only one house but a a jpeg like you can copy it and there's lots of ways and people were putting it up as their twitter now x uh, profile pictures so it was always an an interesting question about how they came to actually manage it but yeah this idea that you know we're not automatically or we're not requiring to pay that money back to the artist which means that uh, once that starts happening people are less likely to create which means that uh, the whole system might just fall down. Would
1: you say that this is the beginning of the end of NFTs, Daniel?
0: Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I think uh, I think NFTs have plunged a lot in value uh, over the last year or so, but I think that's mostly tied to the uh, interest rate hikes because we see a lot of the speculative assets rise and fall pretty much in line with the, when uh, interest rates go up and down. I do think though that this is a it's a big uh crush to that promise you know the idea that this will be good cr- for creators a- and it is it could be really dangerous for NFTs themselves so so for context when NFTs like first popped off you had opensea which is the marketplace and the creator would get a 2.5% cut and opensea would get a 2.5% cut as there was a lot more volume in the space. Those creative fees ended up going up and up and up to six or seven or 8% because it was a crazy, crazy bubble. We're talking about 8% of maybe a $100,000 JPEG, right? And so this kind of like no re- uh, creative fees was kind of a backlash to to that. But the problem is that NFTs, okay, let's say that, 95% of them are scams or bad actors, which I think we can fairly say. The NFT projects that are legitimate are also kind of like startups. So they they'll release say 10,000 NFTs and you pay $200 for each, and then they raise that money. And then they're like, okay, we've got this cool mascot. Now we're going to make a theme park with it, or we're going to make a merch line, or we're going to do we're going to monetize it in all these ways. And as our brand gets more popular, your NFTs will be more valuable. That's the theory. But until now. Creators have been able to be sustained by the ongoing creator fees. But if they can't do that, then you're either going to get much more expensive uh, NFT sales or, yeah, creators will just not be able to do anything, really.
1: So you said that ninety five percent of NFTs, it's fair to say, are a scam. How do you tell the scams from the
0: legit NFTs? That um, without giving investment is, yeah, advice. Yeah, I was of course. about to say. Yeah, yeah, do your own research. Uh, yeah. Um, so most NFT stuff happens over Discord, and um, usually um, the proper projects will have a Discord where they introduce the founders and they'll say, Hey, I am Daniel and I've done X Y Z. This is who I am. This is my vision for the project. And then you know you, you've introduced the team and like clear guidelines of once we sell X amount, we've made Y amount and we're going to do Z with that money. So it's like a proper business yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah they're, like a... and
1: they're making that public and they're making public who they are.
0: Yeah. Often they they'll it'll be pseudonymous, which is the problem, obviously. It wouldn't be Daniel, it would be it's... Dan Master Eight or something, whatever they're, whatever (laughs) they're using. Just given
1: away (laughs) your username on every profile. Great. Yeah, yeah,
0: guys, can we uh, (laughs) cut that up? No. um, Yeah, there is a bit of issues with the pseudonymity, but uh, yeah, it's it's like a a sketched out business plan.
1: Erica, how do you explain NFTs to people that might come up to you and go, "Oh, you know tech stuff."
2: Uh, look, I, I honestly, I try to stay as far away from them as possible <laughs> just because it, it is so hard to to pick out those red flags. You know, personally, I did not have the disposable money around when it became a big thing. So it was not something I personally looked at investing in. You know, that idea of you can't get hold of them or they don't exist in the real world, I think is one of the the ones that we really look at. But it, it's interesting where it's gone. I mean, Australia Zoo did a series of NFTs that they used as a fundraiser, And so, like, there's different ways people have used it. And I think it's an interesting use case, but I always struggled with the, but what's to stop someone from just copying the thing I own? That to me was the, how does this work? Um, But we'll, we'll get there eventually, I think. It'll kind of... Even out, but yeah, as Dan was saying, you know, you, you look for those different things. You do your due diligence, and that's not just YouTube or Facebook or those kinds of things. You know, the, the research and in inverted commas, um, and uh, you see how you go. But um, yeah, I stay as far away as possible. And if anyone asks me about it, I'd probably send them to to someone like Dan that knows more than <laughs> I do.
0: It might be helpful to give examples, like if you look at the board app yacht club, for instance. And this is not an endorsement of their plan or saying this is going to work out, but they made a lot, a lot of money from selling their NFTs, at one point they were up to $400,000 each and they made, you know, 2.5% of that. And now- to
1: be clear, this is $400,000 for a picture of a monkey.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. The argument you can make for that, it's a luxury item. I would call it a luxury item more than a, <laughs> you know what I mean? In the same way that like rich people wear Rolexes and I look at a Rolex and I'm like, man, I would never spend $60,000 on that. But if it, if it strikes you, then go for it. But yeah, anyway, so they made a lot of money off that. Um, there was another collection that was like fantasy 8-bit art they made a lot of money and they hired the guy who wrote John Wick to write their, uh, an anime franchise for them. Oh,
1: see, that makes me really like it.
0: <laughs> I'm upset. So there are, there are <laughs> things, but but the other side of NFTs are a lot of it is the best way to describe it or I've heard it described is a stock market for memes. While you have, you know, the 5% who are actually trying to do things, the, uh, the 95% is like, here are funny pictures of, of Elon Musk because he said something dumb this week and there's no real expectation that we're ever <laughs> going to do anything other than like, let's see how high this price can go and let's see who can like sell at the buy at the right moment buy at the right sell at the right moment that kind of thing
1: a stock market for memes full of luxury digital items. <laughs> I really love that explanation. You are listening to Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, filling in for Mark Fennell. And this week I am joined by Dr. Eric Amelie, lecturer in computer science at the University of the Sunshine Coast, and also Daniel Van Boom, technology correspondent at the shiny brand new Capital Brief. Now, if you've ever sat in a meeting thinking this could have been an email, There might be an app for you. (laughs) Erica, how can AI sit in meetings for us?
2: So, this technology's actually been around uh, for a little while um, and it can do a transcription for you. But what they've taken it now is from instead of word-for-word transcription, it's now a summary. So, they're much like the ChatGPT can summarize a long piece of text. We can also use this AI, Otter AI, to give you a summary of your meeting. I'm waiting for the day that it's an AI agent having a meeting with an AI agent and no person <laughs> is actually on the call because we're all so busy doing other things. Dan, do
1: you think that AI could properly replace us in a meeting eventually?
0: I wish. Uh, no, uh, I, well, disconcertingly, so one of the technologies available, uh, like Erica said, is from Otter. Um, and when you send your Otterbot <laughs> into a meeting, it says, Daniel's Otter pilot is here. When I was reading it about it, I'm glad you used the phrase, like, this could have been an email. I feel like it's only going to make that, uh, that that sense more keen, but I sadly don't think this will... Uh clear our calendars of meetings.
1: But we could use it sneakily, right? You know, we all came up with the, the tips and tricks that we were sharing amongst each other during lockdown to not be in meetings as much as we should be, you know, taking a, a screenshot of ourselves sitting in our office, pretending that the camera has frozen, all of that sort of stuff. You know, nefarious purposes, perhaps?
0: Yes. Nefarious purposes for sure. Uh, I support that. Um, I, I unfortunately don't think the technology is quite there yet. Uh, so, you know, it's similar to the the Seven Eleven example of, um, uh, you know, if you take something off the shelf and then put it back on, sometimes it doesn't recognize that. So one of the things these, these apps do is, for instance, if we're in a meeting and we say, hey, we need that project by Friday, actually, maybe Monday would be better. The AI can kind of freak out and it's meant to tell you what the deadline for a project is and say like, hey, this project is due on Friday. But if if Two people are talking, and they different dates are thrown around. It can kind of just freak out. The other thing that these I use order a lot uh, as a journalist to transcribe interviews. And if if you're not speaking in a in a quiet room, and if you you don't have preferably an American accent, <laughs> but like any kind of accent, <laughs> then there's going to be like errors abounding. Uh, so nefarious ends to skip meetings one day, but unfortunately that day is not here yet.
1: Erica, do you think that we're going to see this kind of technology utilised for non nefarious purposes across workplaces, perhaps?
2: Oh, I don't know. I, I lean to the nefarious as well. We're always. <laughs> I've got a. I've got a colleague who ha- will have oh, two no. laptops and a phone. So, you have to like, you know, send him a a Facebook message and go, oi, meeting two wants to know what you think. And I've got another (laughs) colleague who's taken a photo as if he's in his office. And so, he's always in his office for meetings and people think he's there all the time. I don't think he's actually set foot in the building for months. And uh, so, I think it's going down this step, but I think it will be great in terms of those kind of information download meetings, those ones that really could have been an email, the one-way transmission that, I think, will be really good because there's a lot of those kinds of meetings that we have. But then, like Daniel was saying, the conversational meetings, the let's make a decision, those kinds of meetings, I don't think it will be good. Uh, but not a word of a lie. I almost lost my voice this week, and I was wondering if I could train some AI to uh, use my voice and uh, and uh, phone this one <laughs> in for you. I didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm at the stage of I wonder if I can teach with AI. If I could just give it the script and it could be me. Um, so I think there's some interesting ways we can do it. And and even from an accessibility point of view, being able to involve people who perhaps don't have the same abilities in terms of hearing, sight and those kinds of things. There's, there's some interesting elements coming. Uh, but as for taking all the meetings off our calendar, I don't think so, unfortunately. I think they're here to stay.
0: Did you see that at the beginning of the month, there was a bit of a controversy around Zoom because it updated its terms of, of service to say, hey, we might use all your videos to train our own AI. <laughs> um, and people were not super stoked about that. So then Zoom came out a week later and said, we've updated our terms of service uh, and we won't necessarily be using, you can, you can opt into that and that'd be great. But with its uh, AI tool where it summarizes the meetings, that stuff can be used, you can opt out of it, but that will be used to train its AI.
2: Yeah, security-wise, it became a really big concern. And I think there were some very large organizations very concerned uh, because, I guess, either Teams or or Zoom became the de facto standard for a lot of places. And I know I got a number of, you know, does this mean what I think it means? You know, we've got this, you know, confidential project that we're running with XYZ company and we can't do it on Zoom anymore. Um, but they very quickly rolled it back and softened it quite substantially. So, my, my sources say that uh, it's not as bad as it promised to be. It wasn't completely Big Brother watching us, uh, but, yeah, definitely um – from that security uh, perspective, and I think even from an IP perspective, like knowing our intellectual property. So, if we were having this conversation now and we were talking about something we wanted to patent, does that now count as disclosure because that meeting happened on Zoom and therefore we can't go for the trademark and the patent? I think there's some parts of this that haven't been worked through that are are going to be somewhat of a concern. I think we all need to be a little bit more risk-averse a little bit less online, a little bit more meeting at the coffee shop and not putting things in writing until they're absolutely necessary.
1: Download this show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And if the internet has proven anything, it's that there's an audience for everything, including now sleeping. Daniel, what is a sleepfluencer? Uh,
0: a sleepfluencer uh, is someone who sleeps and you watch them and they get paid lots of money somehow. Um <laughs> I think it was Warren Buffett who said, "If you can't make money while you sleep, you'll never be rich." Well, here come the millennials. <laughs> no, yeah. So um, there's two type of sleep sleepfluen- fluencer. Weirdly hard word to say. Um, the type that's kind of like visual ASMR. You know, like where if if you have insomnia. Apparently, according to people, if you, if you watch people sleeping, they just stream themselves sleeping for hours at a time. That can sometimes, people say, lull them to sleep. So that's great. And then there's the type you'd expect or more in line with what you'd expect, which is people sleeping, in quotation marks, we're talking about influencers now. Um, and they have their room booby trapped with various forms of uh, hijinks. And if you pay money, uh, things like lights or songs or will blare to wake the the sleeper up. You as the viewer pay. You as the viewer pay to torment them, and then you watch them. Um, and and then that's how they make a lot of money.
2: It it is horrific. You forgot the electric shot. Daniel, like one of these sleep influencers wears a band that can deliver an electric shock. So for $95, you can pay to shock him awake. Um, Interestingly enough, he's currently taking a break for his mental health.
1: (laughs) Can't imagine why. I am unsurprised. Who is actually signing up to do this?
2: Lots of people. I don't, I was talking about it with my class just before and it was bizarre. And they're like, oh yeah, have you seen the one, you can actually pay people to pretend to be a non-player character in a video game yes. but in real life.
1: Yes, I have seen these ones.
2: boggles the mind what they're actually doing. And also, I have significant concerns for this people's mental health <laughs> over long time. It's like sleep deprivation is an actual form of torture and they're doing it for money. Uh, I feel like this is a bad, bad idea. And, uh, you know, we add this to the the idea of AI. At what point does the AI agent, uh, you know, chat GPT or Bing chat go... Oh, $95. I can find $95 and, and yeah, just turn it into the AI torturing us. I, I have real worries about this project. (laughs) 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 Sorry, uh, bad plan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the first people who made this famous was actually an Australian TikToker. I hope I say his name right, Jake Boehm. He was earning $50,000 a month, he said, at a certain point. Uh, And, and, uh, Although I I did look at his TikTok and he was doing it like pretty regularly until like August and then just stopped. I think he did it like once a month after that point, after he'd kind of made a personality for himself. Even the originator was like, you know what, this is a bit full on.
1: Well, you can kind of just jump in, make some cash, get back out again, right? You don't have to do this as a career forever. So is, is this really hurting anyone for people to be doing this?
0: Well, I think one of the saving graces of it is that you need quite a lot of money to like fit your room out with like torture paraphernalia, basically. So oh, wow. it'd be hard for like a 15 year old to, you know, just obviously part of the problem with social media trends is a lot of the imitation that goes on. But I think you need quite a bit of money to invest to uh, imitate this. Um I think the, the people who have really uh, found the most success with this are influencers who are already popular and then go into, you know, they see it and they're like, I'll try that. And then they do it once or twice and they're like, cool, I'd never have to do that again.
1: <laughs> Erica, would you do this? Would you be a sleepfluencer? influencer?
2: Uh, No, I have enough trouble sleeping at the moment. I've got a Cavalier (laughs) King Charles that snores. I don't need any more torture. But I think they also have overlooked the fact that they need to be putting money away for their future mental health and counselling and trauma counselling. So, you you know, you might make $50,000 in a week and and then, you know, spend $100,000 seeing psychiatrists for the rest of your life because you're terrified that something's going to jump out. I mean, We've got returned service personnel who've come back from war zones, who've had this kind of traumatic stuff happen to them. And PTSD can ruin their lives. So I don't think we want to encourage it. Um, It's interesting that people chose to subject themselves to this, uh, but I definitely wouldn't be doing it, no. I think people who want to disturb their sleep, they could just have children um, or pets. Uh, I think that's probably more expensive, though won't get paid for that.
1: What about you, Dan? Would you do this? Would you recommend doing this?
0: I wouldn't recommend doing this. I mean, $50,000 a month, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like everyone, I do have a price and it's around about the 50000 No, no, yeah. <laughs> Don't try this at home. <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: that is all that we have time for on the show today. A big thank you to Dr. Erica Mealy, lecturer in computer science at the University of the Sunshine Coast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much. It's been fun.
1: And a big thank you to Daniel Van Boom, a technology correspondent at Capital Brief. Thanks for coming again.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Now, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. I'm Ray Johnston, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.